Welcome to the New Books Network. Hey, my name is Rachel Stewart. I'm a host at the New Book Network. This is a podcast for the Sex, Sex Work and Sexualities channel. And I am really, really excited today because we're talking to Natalie, Natalie West about her book, We Too. Natalie, can you tell us who you are? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and be talking about We Too with you. Um, A little bit about myself. I, let's see, I started work as a professional dominatrix in Los Angeles back in, I think around 2012. And um, I worked in that industry for about I don't know, eight years. Um, And then at this point, I feel pretty retired, (laughs) as retired as sex workers ever get, because the world doesn't really let us retire in the ways that other people can. Um, Those those stories stick with us. And that's kind of part of what this book is about. Um, But I I was a graduate student when I was working also as a sex worker. Um, Those two things sort of coincided for me. And um, the kind of culmination, I guess, of of both of those projects um, was this book, We Two Essays on Sex Work and Survival, which I edited. So it was a project that that I pitched um, to the feminist press and we went forward with and I, um, you know, from from the ground up solicited writing from sex workers across um, many aspects of the sex industries. And um, and finally. Years later, we have this beautiful book, We Two Essays on Sex Work and Survival. Um, and I also co edited it with Tina Horn. So she's another person who is a podcaster, a sex worker, um, an author, a comic book author. And um, she came in for the assist on this book as well. So, do you still, are you still involved in research? Are you still, are you still sort of academically engaged? No, not not necessarily. And my research was actually never on sex work. Um, actually, the the sex work uh, funded <laughs> the rest of the life. Um, and, you know, as we all know that you know, graduate students don't make a great deal of money. And so, if you are attending university and you don't have partner support or you don't have a kind of you know familial sort of safety net economically, um, oftentimes pick up other forms of labor. And so sex work for me was very much outside and separate from my academic work. Um, I did work in, in queer theory, right? So there was not a complete and total separation between my research and my <laughs> sex work, but, um, but they didn't correspond in the ways that I know that some people's do. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite, that was, um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of clarify that because I was, I was, you know, I was really interested in your um, your introduction and describing how di- how difficult it had been to kind of get to, to get through uni. You know, it's a struggle. You know, both my kids are at uni at the moment. It's and it's you know, it's hard. It's hard. So why the book? Why now? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's it's been such a, a long process getting this put, book put together. I don't even feel like it is why. <laughs> I know, sort of why then? And I think that some of that is like indicative, of course, in the title, right? We too. Um, so I started really conceiving of this idea as a book in, I guess, maybe late 2017, early 2018, uh, around the time that we we would think that the We Too movement, or sorry, the Me Too movement in its sort of, you know, 
current iterations. And I, I mean that in the, in the sense of like late 2017, um, celebrities coming out against things that were happening in their own industries, of course, and then the, the pickup of that, that movement online. Um, like many other sex workers, I had a lot of stories to tell, but I felt really conflicted about telling them. Um, for a lot of different reasons, I felt conflicted about telling them because I'd talked to other workers who had said, like, I wanted to use this hashtag or I did use this hashtag and I got a lot of blowback in my DMs, people saying, well, you're a sex worker. What can you expect? Of course, you experience sexual harassment on the job. Your job is a, a product of rape culture, right? Or your job is a product of the over-sexualization of women, right? Or any number of these discourses. So that was happening. And then on another, in another sense, and perhaps a, a sense that resonates with sex workers more specifically is that it's really hard to do our work and not be sexy about it all the time, right? Because like we are trying to gain inroads in feminist movements, mainstream feminist movements that, um, aren't used to thinking of sex workers as, as people with, with agency and with like legitimate concerns about their labor that, that aren't about ending their labor. Right. And so like telling stories um, about harassment or abuse at work is really difficult and fraught for sex workers specifically. And so um, this book kind of grew out of that, right? Like that moment, my own moment, and then also reaching out to other sex workers and asking if people were having similar experiences, trying to fit themselves into a movement that didn't seem to suit what we needed to do um, around our own work and survival. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of came across it, that came across in the introduction really nicely. But also as well, um, it's quite funny because you picked up on this little Me Too uh, subject because it really passed me by and I'm very much a Twitter person. I'm very much engaged in it. Um, but for whatever reason, I didn't think it applied to me as a, as a sort of like a former sex worker. Um, because I have to be honest, like when I was working, like punters weren't really a problem. Yeah. I wasn't really like sort of sexually harassed and in my working environment and largely because of the stuff that I picked up hustling, I don't, I didn't, I wasn't getting kind of, um, sort of like harassed at work but also as well I you know it really tapped into something in as much as I didn't think it applied to me and when I read your book I was like oh gosh oh gosh I hadn't even seen that exclusion that that invisible wall that that, that you highlight so nicely um so tell us tell us more about how sort of me too impacted you personally um I think I mean, I think that probably like a lot of people when this movement got underway and, and by the movement, I just mean like there, when there was a, a kind of outpouring of, of people saying like, these are the things that happened to me at work. Um, I, I think that, you know, that became an outpouring because of recognition, right? Like somebody tells a story and you think, oh, I've experienced something like that. And maybe it is like, as you're saying, um, we don't always recognize it when it's happening to us, but then when somebody else tells the story and calls it what it is, right? Somebody calls it abuse or somebody calls it harassment, then we're able to think like, okay, well, I guess I've been abused or I've been harassed because I've experienced something quite like that. Um, 
And I, you know, I think like quite like you're saying as well, I, um, you know, I'm just kind of taking in the news, I'm taking in Twitter, I'm just, you know, reading um, in, a, in a general sense and feeling like, okay, yeah, I mean, I was definitely abused at this job that I worked at in college. Oh, I was like definitely abused in this other kind of situation, right? Like I could see it in other forms of work, um, but I had been sexually assaulted as a, mm-hmm. as a sex worker. Um, and the lines that I drew between, you know, what was acceptable behavior and unacceptable behavior were very different than I think that people will, would draw in a, in a more traditional form of workplace. And I think that's fucked up, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't, um, I don't think that I should, that my boundaries um, should have to be different um, at work because of the work I was doing. And so I, you know, I think that a lot of it was just me trying to figure out for myself, um, you know, what, what do I do with this? And there are probably other people who feel this way as well. And so, you know, like wanting to have the the more kind of collective conversation is why this became um, an anthology of essays, as opposed to, you know, just me sort of like writing the story, my own story. Yeah. And it's, and I liked, I loved the essays because um, I like. I tell you what I liked about it was that there were a lot of like sort of sex workers essays because my experience like, recently with academia is that I've spoken to a few academics who, when they realise I'm a former sex worker, very very interested in my experience as sex worker, less interested in my academia. They kind of use it to sort of like titillate and and to make their own academia more attractive. So to have these stories, these narratives of women come together, I thought was really really impactful and so. Um, so important for giving background to things like stigma and the lived experience of stigma. I just, <clears throat> I, you know, I actually used your your um, your book in my PhD. So, you, um, I was really struck by this really really beautiful phrase that you you um, used in the uh, introduction. It says, um, "We are allowing our non-sex working readers to sit with us as we do so across the pages of the collection." but the collection is for ourselves. I love that. What did you mean by that when you wrote that? Because it's beautiful. Um, I think, you know, a lot of sex worker storytelling, and I talk about this in the introduction too, um, falls into kind of a, a, a dichotomy that is oftentimes feels very false to a lot of people who are actually doing sex work, right? Like either there's the happy hooker narrative, which, you know, is kind of, a third wave feminist iteration of, of sex worker narrative where it's like usually somebody who is white and well-educated and upwardly mobile in lots of kinds of ways, but like dabbles in sex work or, or goes into sex work because it is fun and exciting and titillating and right. And like, they're, they're like, this is the happy, the happy hooker kind of myth. And I've, I felt like a happy hooker lots of times. I'm not going to say that I haven't, right. But that's only part of the story. Um, there's also on the other side of this, of course, like a lot of rescue narrative or narratives of, of trauma and coercion, right. Felt that too. <laughs> right. So, so I think that, you know, like when, when you have these two narratives and, and you have sex workers telling stories, like we felt for a long time, um, like we have to be one or the other. And more often than not, we have to like present the happy hooker kind of mythos, because if we do that, then nobody is going to try to save us, right? Like nobody's going to try to save us by like 
arresting us, right, to save us by, <laughs> by like, you know, like, what, whatever it is, like, by arresting us, I think, more, more often than not, right? Um, and so, so when, when you're faced with those kinds of pressures to tell a story that's recognizable, um, I think that can really shut down our honesty about our own experiences, right? It's, it's incredibly vulnerable, um, and a, a lot of people in, in the book talk about this. I think um, especially um, Ashley Page's um, first essay, That Sliver of Light, when she talks about, you know, here she is, this sex worker who is a pro-dom and who is kind of like seen as this like larger than life, like sexy, in, in charge kind of woman. And she is you know, like what she, she, she describes like this, this kind of image as this like big balloon. And she's like walking up to it with it, with a needle, like, am I going to pop this? Like that's, that can be really dangerous. That can be really vulnerable in terms of like, are my clients still going to want to see me if they know that I've experienced trauma are, um, you know, are radical feminists going to like, you know, organized against me or organize against what I'm doing with my life because they, they, you know, can see like from, from the horse's mouth, the trauma, right? I think that that's a really vulnerable thing. And so what I wanted to do with the introduction is really to say, like, we are, we're collecting these stories for ourselves because we actually do need to be able to talk about these things, right? We need to be able to share these stories. We need to be able to see ourselves in the stories of other people. Um, and this book is a good way to do that. But for people who are civilians who have never done sex work, like if we're going to let you in on this conversation, you have to promise that you'll sit there quietly and let us do the work that we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's so important because um, I was I was thinking about what you were saying. And I've been reading a lot around with Berg and Beloso recently. And actually, both of those narratives, like that kind of happy hooker thing or this absolute abject victim just takes money out of the equation. Totally. Mm -hmm. Like Money suddenly just disappears out of the discourse. You know, and so then we get we get to a, a you know we sort of remove the backstory of why people uh, you know why people engage in sexual commerce in the first place, but also as well um, when we're forced to become like one dimensional, yeah, when we when we when we're not sort of like sort of like padded out with the facts of our own lives, well then we the actual services that we provide actually then get really really missed I was really um I was really taken about how you wrote about your introduction to doming and it really struck me the age between us because I'm obviously in my 50s and my initial introduction to sex work was pretty like sort of traumatizing but then later when I worked when I did like other stuff it was women that showed me how to do it. older women that had been through the industry by themselves. So I learned to dom, uh, to dom in this in this dungeon, basically, with these women that would have that just showed me everything. And they were very, very good at reading situations, reading customers who, you know, were pretending to be sort of submissive, but actually were really controlling. And I just it just struck me reading your book how as we've become isolated from each other, you know, as sex workers because of, you know, what's, um, are you still there? 
yeah, we've become isolated from each other because of this kind of um, this 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 um, this narrative around victimization. It victimizes us by separate separating us from each other and our mm. ability to learn from each other. You know what's what's funny about that story, and and just I'll kind of like set it up a little bit for um, folks who haven't um, read the book or haven't read my introduction to it. Um, the my sort of you know, the way that I got into doming was, was through, I, I, I knew one person, right? Like I knew one person who was a dominatrix and, um, you know, of course I needed the cash, right? The money wasn't out of the equation for me. Um, I needed the cash and, um, she was friends with somebody who was a fetish photographer. And of course, you know, like when, when you think about the whole ecosystem of, of doming, you know, in, in the last, two decades, right? Or more like it is, there is an online element to it, right? Like you have to like be able to set up at that point, like set up a basic like back page um, account or, 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 you know, like back page ad. Um, now I think there's like so much more um, imperative to have like a real social media presence and all of these things. Right. Um, but like at the time, like I needed to have these things and this, this fetish photographer ended up being somebody who acted as like a quote unquote trainer. Right. And so I was doing some, some free sessions with him as trade for photographs and it became a, a pretty uh, exploitative situation. And you know, what's, what's interesting about my own experience of that, um, of that scenario is that it wasn't until reading the essays in we too, because I didn't write the introduction until the book, the book had already like pretty much come together. It was only after reading the essays and reading so many different essays from porn performers mainly um, who were talking about how they had similar experiences where there would be a photographer who would do something for trade, but then would, you know, not turn over the photographs and then, and then realize in the end that, oh, like, like you, you were fucking me, right? Like, this is not, this was not a trade situation. This was not work. Like, like I was, I was being exploited in this moment and I didn't even know it. It wasn't until reading those other narratives that I realized that that's what had happened to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you're right there. <laughs> I, you know, I never worked in, um, a lot of people who come into professional domination will do so through a more commercial dungeon situation. And I always get a little bit sad about it. I'm like, Oh, I didn't get to live in the dorms. <laughs> like, I didn't get to live in the sorority house with like all the sisters. <laughs> like I wish I had, you know, I lived off campus. Um, and, and I, I, I kind of, I feel like I missed out on something there. Um, but there is, I think that, you know, like there are other stories in the, in the book, um, I, I'm reminded especially of Selena, the strippers forward to the book where she talks about kind of like, you know, trying to like feel their way around different aspects of the sex industry and sugaring. And it wasn't until they started working in a strip club where they had people coming, you know, kind of like showing them the ropes. And I think that those kinds of collective sex work experiences can feel very different um, because there is that sort of support system. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think we've really like, you know, we've had that taken from us because, you know, the, the sort of stigma isolates us from each other because we can't be open about who we are. You know, and I, I think that's that's a that's really damaging. That's really that's really damaging. So 
tell us again you've like I was reading through this and I was like picking up some really nice things that you were saying tell us about um this quote uh we've written to and for those who would deny our human humanity for too long Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think what I was trying to to get at with that um statement is that this book again is not meant to to convince people who are on the fence as to whether or not sex work should exist and sex workers should exist. This is not an argument for that, right? Like it, it's not it's not that. Um, we, if anybody needs that argument, it exists. It's out there. <laughs> it's all over the place. And if you do not have the um, capacity to recognize the humanity in this book. I don't I don't have time for you to even read it, right? Like that's sort of that is, that is the kind of attitude of the collection and again I think that's part of um that's part of again us writing for ourselves because the point of these stories is not to humanize sex workers for non-sex workers, it's for sex workers to recognize ourselves um amongst ourselves. Right. Yeah. And, and to find kind of power in that, in that kind of collaboration. And so, um, you know, like I, there are other forms of, there are other ways to do that. Right. Like there are, um, you know, networks and platforms online to do that, but, you know, unfortunately, even those are, are under siege all the time. And so like this book is, is a mode of, of connection, um, I think between sex workers and, um, and that's why that, that kind of, you know, um, sort of warning at the end of the introduction is there. Yeah, I like the fact as well. It's it's a kind of delivery, isn't it, without an engagement? So you can deliver what's being said and just leave it for people to to look at without having to defend it. I also what really struck me as well is it is your book is it took a, like a while, like it's been sort of circling my consciousness for a good while now, and I kept hearing about it being spoken about by people who I find very engaging you know who talk about sort of sex work in terms of uh of precarity and as labor and as you know and it was them that were really bouncing it around twitter it was those people that were talking about it and and for me that made the book even more interesting because you know let's be honest there's a kudos about um sort of sex work books that are written in such a way that they they resonate with sex workers because so much of what we read what we write what we read is written about us and it's not written by us so you know it bears little resemblance to what's actually you know what our lived experience is yeah i mean i think you know and this the the lived experience of sex work as labor is in this book in such a way that like i just don't think I don't think a researcher, even who hasn't been a sex worker, would be asking the right questions, right? Um, I think that, you know, when we think about, like, like what what are the, the labor concerns? And I think I mentioned this in, in the introduction as well. Like, what are the labor concerns um, of, of sex workers uh, who, are, who are working in very different industries? Like, for some people, like, that might mean that the, the DJ, like, at the club wants to have sex with you and when you refuse him he only plays music you can't dance to like that's a labor concern right like that's affecting your bottom line that is not the kind of question that a non-sex working researcher is ever going to ask a sex worker about the conditions of her labor um 
but it's a very real yeah. concern. And so I think that, you know, like when you think, when you actually get a collection of sex working writers, you're going to get a, a picture of the labor itself that is so nuanced that, that just can't be captured in other ways. And I think too, that, you know, because we were lucky enough with this collection to get so many different kinds of workers um, together and, and, and also collecting writing for people who the state might consider trafficking victims, right? Like, like that, like in our collection, right? Like with, with sex workers who again are like part of the whole like happy hooker mythology, right? Like that we can speak to one another in a way that, that is going to bring forth more nuance than a kind of like unidirectional sort of idea about what sex work is and what it means. Yeah. And I, I think it's really important as well when you read the stories, because what you get from the stories is the journeys of people's lives. You know, whereas the debates around sex work tend to tend to almost freeze sex workers in amber, like that one moment in their life, then just um <clears throat> sort of like classifies them forever. Whereas actually, and I think Laura Augustine talks about this really well, she talks about, you know, sort of people transitioning in and out of like situations that might not necessarily be particularly favorable, but mm-hmm. quite often it's sex work that can get you out of those situations. You know, if you've, you know, if you've sort of like, you know, if you, if you've been sort of like sort of financially exploited, sex work's a brilliant way to get away, from, you know, to sort of right that wrong, you know, it doesn't mean the wrong's not right and not there, but you know, sex work for me personally Sex work allowed me to hustle my way out of the hustle, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that, and I think that's really important. And what we never say, also as well, like when we talk about sort of sexual labour and we talk about sex work, the actual act itself very, very seldom gets talked about. I don't remember reading anything about people getting rid of tissues. You never read about mm-hmm. Kleenex and anything that you read. Right. It's a major part of what we do. You know, and it's and that's what happens when you have this kind of like colonialism. Like, you know, when our voices, you know, are taken from us and, you know, they're interpreted. And I think that's what, you you know, it's major what you've done with this book. And I'm really grateful that you've written it, you know. So just. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to, to kind of speak to what you were just saying about, you know, sex work can be something that gets you to the next point. I think that in an anti sex work ideology, it's it's always that like sex work is like the the last stop on the train right like what is everything that that like landed you in this moment as opposed to like well what if we start with this moment and then think about what productive we can where, where productively we're going right like and and that might mean a continuation of sex work if that's what you know if that's what a worker wants to do it could mean transitioning out of sex work if that's what a worker wants to do um, but I, but I think you're, you're really onto something there in terms of like, uh, you know, where, where sex work happens within a person's like life narrative. And it's going to be so different based, you know, like thinking about like, if you are somebody who is supportive of sex workers or not. Yeah. But also as well, it's almost like, and I can't remember who said this and I think it might be below. So he talks about, um, you know, it's almost like they like sex workers live outside the capitalist system. Like they mm-hmm. don't have to pay or they don't live in a in a period when it's actually really hard just to make ends meet with a with a with a job you know even with a phd they're not brilliantly well paid right so it's almost like the the you know the sort of the element of choice uh is is almost inflated 
you know and and I think that's that's really really important is that we remember that this is an economic activity I think I was sharing with someone the other day that somebody wrote that the biggest fear for for sort of sex workers is um exposure actually no it's not the biggest fear is not making any money right which is the same as everybody right like we're all compelled to labor um yeah. you know and and so um, yeah, when we think about like, like, what is what is the choice that sex workers are, are, are making, like, it's often posed as, as a moral one that's about one's own sort of sexual morality, as opposed to a moral one that's about capitalism. Yeah, yeah. But I think as well, there's this this whole discussion as well about what happens. And I was very taken with your story about being outed. What happens to someone when you out them? Is that you don't just affect their, their, their reputation, you affect their earning capacity. Mm hmm. You know, you write, you write um, quite distressingly about how you were outed by this, you know, this quite abusive, uh, you know, stalker, basically. And, and I wondered how that had impacted you. You know, I, I, I'm very lucky in the sense that that, that whole scenario did not end up, you know, ending my, my time in academia, right? Like I was able to finish my degree. Like he, you know, we ultimately, you know, hired a lawyer, got a cease and desist. He, he backed off. Right. And I was able to complete my degree. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I was also in a moment at that time where I, you know, that kind of like hopeful moment before you finish the PhD, when you imagine that you have this kind of like earning potential, right? Like I hadn't yet gone on the academic job market. And so, so, you know, like when, when I think about like the ways that like I imagined that being outed as a sex worker would, would change my material circumstances, my material circumstances were already on the death, the, the nosedive. Um, but that didn't have anything to do with like being, being a sex worker or not. Honestly, I mean, at this point, um, knock on wood, I still haven't um, been completely, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> put out um, from academia. But I think, you know, I, I thought like this, if this ends my, my, um, you know, my if this ends my uh, ability to, to stay in this PhD program, it's over for me. But the truth of the matter is like the, the PhD program was, was not really making me a great deal more upwardly mobile anyway. Right. Like I graduated from my PhD and started working as an adjunct, making less money than I was. Right. And so I continued doing sex work while I was adjuncting because that's what made ends meet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing, right. Like thinking that was going to be what would ruin me when, <laughs> Ruin yeah. was on the horizon anyway. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was sort of, you know, sort of like when you read, when you were talking about the the outing, it really resonated with me because I've always had to be open about my my background because I've got these convictions from for soliciting from my, when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. you know. But they follow me everywhere, like it was yeah. so. I feel like I was forcibly kind of outed, but actually, it's great, you know. It is. Great, because it removes the power from the abuser. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, what are you going to do to me? Like, what are you going to call me? Yeah, what are you going to phone my family? You're going to phone this family of mad gypsies who are all really proud of me to tell them about me. <laughs> That's going right. to work. <laughs> you know, and I, I just think sometimes that those kind of abusive situations give us power. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was I was in the closet as a sex worker to most people. There were some people in my life who I was out to, but I was out 
or I was in the closet to most people until I finished my PhD. And I still work in academia now. And I mean, you know, like this book obviously is published under my performer name, Natalie West, but I'm um, I'm now writing another book under my legal name um, that is an element of it is about sex work. And I am out um, as a sex worker. And I mean, I guess the threat is still there in a sense, right? Like I could I could lose my job for the work that I've done. Um, but I can't but I, I'm so done with like living in the fear of it. Um, and, and you're right, like the, the power then, you know, I do I do feel like well, at least I have agency around my story, right? Like at least I have agency around my, my own narrative and, um, and, uh, yeah, like being in the, in the closet is, uh, it's a terrifying place to be. Yeah. You know, we yeah. think it provides safety, but, but honestly, it, it's, it's quite frightening. It's manacling. It's it's really stifling. And, you know, it comes with so much um, sort of ambiguity as well, doesn't it? Because we see it in academia all the time, people who sex work, but who daren't come out. So it impacts how they how much they can say in their academia. It, you know, it really impacts it. It sort of it muscles them, which is what it's, it's designed to do, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, take their voices and speak for them. And every time I read anything like this, it just makes me think of a gambit. You know, Gambon and um and oh what's her name? Spivak. Spivak, you know, it's like that oh. whole sort of like colonizing take the voice of the, the colonized and speak for them. Yeah. You know, and I feel you know, I don't think anyone has been as colonized as as sex workers. You know, I just yeah. So, um so who did you choose for contributors? How did you find your contributors? Because you have got an amazing array of people, some of whom I know and recognized. Vanessa, we've interviewed already. Yeah, yeah. Vanessa's amazing. They're um they run a an organization that that I've been part of for a really long time that they talk about in the book, Hooker's Army. And so um Vanessa was one of the first people who I got in contact with. Um, some of these, some of the writers in the book, you know, when I was putting together even just a proposal to try to take this out to presses and um, and see where we could land it, um, there are people who I don't know personally who I've just like read their writing, right? And so I'm like, okay, I've encountered your writing. I love your voice. I know you have something to say for this. I'm going to reach out to you and and, and see. Um, there are some reprints in the book. So um, there are a few different essays that are that originally um, appeared in Tits and Sass, um, which is an amazing sex worker um, online publication. I think it's, it's, a, it's a publication that like needs its own anthology. Honestly, if somebody wants to make an anthology of tits and sass writing, I think that would be incredible. Um, and then some others are, ju- are, are friends as well, right? Like people who I've, um, who I've met either working or who I've met organizing. And so there's kind of an array of that. Um, I also brought on Tina Horn because Tina is the extrovert to my introvert. (laughs) So like she, she definitely, um, and especially because like she was on the East coast when I, um, when I contacted her. And so she had more East coast connections. Um, we definitely, I mean, while the, the collection itself is, um, fairly U S based, I mean, we do have some contributors who are, um, British and European, um, it's, it's a pretty U S based, uh, 
endeavor here. And again, that's just kind of based on like who we are and who we knew. Um, but I definitely didn't want it to be just like an LA collection of sex workers. And so Tina was really um, useful to come on and, and bring in some of her contacts as well. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it's, and I would imagine it's a real some kind of community building thing as well, because I find whenever I do anything, you know, that, that gives voice to others or sex workers, especially sex working academics, you build allies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You build allies. And I personally, I just, you know, if I, you know, I try and quote and cite as many sort of, you know, sex work academics as I can, you know, it's like, you know, let's get, let's get a selling up, you know, shifting some books. Um, so what, what do you hope to achieve with the book? What's, what's your aim? Um, I mean, I think ultimately it is about making those connections, honestly. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, the book as a success to me is that it finds its way into the hands of as many sex workers as can read it and that they find some solace in it, find solidarity, um, find a reason to get angry, find a reason to organize, um, you know, like that, that to me is where the success of this book lies um it's also that the royalties from the book are going to swap behind bars and so as much uh you know as many books as we can sell we'll get those you know royalties over to them which means that they can buy more essentials and and even buy more books right for for sex workers who are incarcerated um and so that's you know like that of course is is the ultimate success of it as well yeah so have you got is there a link that we can like sort of put in the blog for this and I because yeah. there's an there's a blog that's attached now <clears throat> I think we'll put the link for that and also the link for what was tits and sass is that is that you know sort of freely accessible yeah 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 um I'm just gonna check uh on I mean tits and sass definitely is I think it's just tits and um just making sure I'm right yeah tits and and so this is um uh, their tagline is service journalism by and for sex workers, um, a fantastic site. And then um, you can order the book on feministpress.org. You can find the book there and then swap behind bars. Um, I believe that they're just swap behind bars.org, but let me actually just check on that. Yeah, that's fine. So, so what are you working on at the moment? I am currently working on a memoir. Um, and so, you know, it kind of, I guess it, I had more to say <laughs> during my brief introduction to this book. Um, yeah, I'm working on a memoir now. Um, it, it is um, partially a sex work book um, in the sense that, um, you know, it does move into my adult life, but um, it's a coming of age memoir. It just kind of has two coming of ages, right? Like the first one um, is, is about growing up and, and recognizing that I'm queer in rural West Virginia. So like very, very much um, away from a a lot of queer cultures, you might imagine it. Um, And having that kind of coming out journey um, and, and then moving to Los Angeles and having a kind of like second coming of age in the sense that when I started doing sex work, my relationship to sexuality, to gender specifically changed a lot. Um, Whereas, you know, before I had come out and I had, um, you know, fashioned my gender as very boyish, very masculine. And that was kind of part of my identity. 
I realized that I could make a lot more money um, if I if I made myself high femme. And so the the book kind of follows like those negotiations as well of, of gender and sexuality and kind of finding yourself again, like through this act of kind of becoming becoming a sex worker in, a, in, in that sense, like becoming this like perf- this performer, right? A different kind of uh, doing a different kind of gender performance. Yeah. And yeah, so and it's. I suppose as well, it makes that it then makes it really easy to kind of like separate from from work and home if you've got a different sort of persona. Because um, I often think that in you know the gaps in the literature around about things like you know we talk a lot about performance, but I you know I like my experience is um when when I was sex working, I would be myself a sort of slightly sexier, obviously <laughs> you know showered version of myself. <laughs> But the space that the like the car journey, I was getting there and coming home, like when I was escorting, I'd drive myself there and I'd come back. And the space that that car journey would would um, sort of like represent, you know. So by the time I got home, what I, you know, what happened at work, I'd left at work, and I was back in sort of like mum mode or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we ever get that that, that enough, do we? We because it's almost a when you sex work, it's almost like assume that that's that's a much larger part of your life than it actually is. Right, right, yeah, and the, and those are some of the the biggest questions that I'm really trying to explore right now. Like, you know, are there times when, like, the separation is is hopeful and everything blurs, right? Or are there times when, like, it really can be compartmentalized, and and are there times when, like, it doesn't matter if you com- compartmentalize it as a worker that nobody else will allow you to, right? Because they just yeah. like make the assumptions about, about who you are and what that means. Um, yeah. So, so I'm in, I'm in the process of, of writing that, that book right now. Um, the title of it is pretty baby <clears throat> and it will be out in June, 2022 from avid reader press. Okay. We'll get you back to talk about yeah. that. It's quite a long way, quite a long way off. It's also under another name. I mean, you <laughs> can Google these things and figure it out at this point, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. So, and I think it's really interesting as well, what we don't see. And I was talking to someone the other day about this is that you don't see sort of people coming in, out and in and out of the sex industry. You know, it's assumed that people kind of go in, do their thing, mm-hmm. and even go on. Where actually, my experience is this: is every time I've left, I've always thought I'm leaving for good now, and always ended up going back and doing something else quite random because you know needs must sometimes. You know, but we never see that in the literature. You never see those kind of life courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm I've been calling myself like a retired sex worker, but I put the the re in <laughs> this is a very academic way to put things. The re is in a, a parentheses, right? So mm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm a tired <laughs> sex worker. That means I'm mostly retired. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, you know, it, 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 honestly, I think that, you know, sex work is um, it's a set of skills that, um, you know, can be called upon, right? Like it's a set of skills that can be called upon, which you know, nobody, like, if, if you, if you learn to write code, and then you get a job, like, you know, as a curator at an art gallery, but every once in a while, you're going to, like, go, like, do some project, right? And you're going to write some code, like, nobody would ever say to you, like, oh, you know, like, that that's a skill that you have, I guess you have to evolve it. So does everybody else, right? But like, it's a skill you have, and you can call upon it when you need it. Um, I, I think sex work is the same thing. I just consider myself like a a master crafts person. You know? 
I've got these life skills that you can choose forever. I'm damned if I'm going to like sort of struggle on in poverty when it's an option to do something different, you know. And I think as well, it's um that that your book is is quite interesting, and I enjoyed reading it. But I I didn't hear any older voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have um, Norma Jean Almodovar is definitely like um, somebody who I consider an elder and who, you know, has like, if you if you look her up, she's preserved so many wonderful things like she is she is a a sex work historian. Absolutely. And um, and an elder. But the piece that we have from her is um, an older piece. So it's a reprint of her essay, Undercover Agents, which was written a number of years ago. Um, and and we also have um, the piece by Kyan Dorosho, who is being um, interviewed by Zachary Drucker. So that piece, I mean, Kyan also is an elder, but again, is kind of reflective, right? Like, like the way that she's talking about sex work and in sort of like... Um, the ways that she's reflecting on her life experience are as somebody who is from an older generation and is looking back. Like we don't have anybody in the, in the collection. I don't think who, um, you know, is, is, is currently working, um, as an older worker. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define older because we're, we're all probably <laughs> defining differently. Um, but I mean, I would love that. I would, I would love to have to have more. And again, it's like we didn't do an open call for this collection, right? Um, it was a kind of thing where we like worked within a, a network of um, of folks that that we had, just because it was a sort of time constraint. It's also a money constraint and all of these other things, um, but. I hope that those collections do end up being written, right? And that those stories and that those narratives are, end up being written um, because I, I think that we're probably hearing them uh, at, at um, you know, we're, we're not hearing them in the ways that we should. Yeah. But in a way, I'm almost kind of relieved that we don't because, you know, that, that sort of the, the debate we have around the swerfs and the turfs and, you know, readers can go and look that up for themselves if they're not sure what that is. Um, you know, they, they, they focus, they're so patriarchal without realising it. So they focus on a particular type of victim when it comes to the debate around sex work, i.e. that conflation with trafficking. And it's always a young, and you say this in a bit, a young or blonde suburban girl who's been drugged up and, you know, abused. And so they can't, it's almost like they can't see sex work as actually a life long um sort of activity for some people you know i am when i was uh sort of interviewing for my phd i i interviewed a woman who was just coming up to 60 and and was um you know was making it was 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 webcoming from webcoming she diversified into porn production and her speciality was older women they just made a video there was three of them and they, to get, they called it 200 years of nasty because between the three of them they were 200 years old I love her. And, and i loved that but i also liked the fact that because of the the haters are so narrow-minded they don't notice the bigger the bigger sort of picture and that that gave me joy that gave me joy it's like so you know if you're not you know, if you're not sort of suitable to be used for some sort of like, you know, sort of like anti-trafficking campaign, it's almost like you're 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 non-existent. Right, right. If you're not if you're not somebody who 
they can imagine like saving, right? Like at a certain point, like in your life, it's like, well, you're irredeemable. <laughs> like you're not, you know, like there's, there's nothing to, there's nothing to save here. But, you know, even the, even the, in the case of like younger sex workers who the swerfs might imagine saving, like the ways that stigma works is that like, it doesn't matter if you engage in sex work when you're younger and then you want to transition out and onto other things, which many people do. Um, and many sex workers would be like totally supportive of people doing that. Right. But the stigma follows you for the rest of your life, you yeah. know? So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you do it when you're young and you're quote unquote saved, right? Like you're, you're still and always going to be labeled as, as a sex worker. Yeah. Because, you're never going to get past that identity. Are you? Yeah. So, um, so how do you, you know, how do you see sex, the future of sex work? How do I see the future of sex work? Um, I mean, I think that the people who are on the cutting edge of sex work today probably are the people who are very adept at all things online, <laughs> all things social media, all things VR, right? And in some ways that could probably be liberatory, I would imagine, because I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like in terms of like contact and, and cops and like, it's, it's, it's all still there, right? <laughs> the internet, it's all still there. Um, I am hopeful though, in, in some regards about decrim and the, the sort of ways that I think mainstream political culture might be shifting at least a little bit. Like I am hopeful um, that that this won't be the debate that we have forever and ever. Um, but those are all my good days. I mean, on my, <laughs> my bad days, I'm I'm still as pessimistic as ever about purity culture and and purity culture on the left as well, and in feminism as well, right? And the ways that that um, you know, sex workers can't seem to get out from under these sort of like moralizing lenses um so i think i answer that question every which way like i don't know the people who know the internet probably know better than me um <laughs> on my good days i'm hopeful on my bad days i'm not <laughs> that's gonna be my answer yeah i'm just waiting for that day when all of these cuss serial feminists just like kind of implode on themselves and we can all just carry on with business as normal you know yeah yeah <laughs> It's been really, really nice to talk to you. Um, tell tell the viewers, tell the listeners what the book is and who's publishing it. So the book is called We Too, Essays on Sex Work and Survival. It was edited by myself with uh, Tina Horn. There's a foreword there by Selena the Stripper, who's another incredible sex worker writer. And um, there's a lot of voices in this book, right? Um, there are strippers. There are cam workers. There are people who would be considered trafficked. There are um, escorts, right? Like you're gonna you're gonna hear from a lot of different workers. It was published by the Feminist Press um, back in February of this year, so it's still brand new. Yeah. And I hope you pick up a copy. I do too. It's an awesome book. You should read it. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Thank you so much, Natalie. My name is Rachel Stewart. I'm a PhD researcher at the University of Kent, and this is the New Book Network. Thank you very much.